0: Seven ah. One thousand two hundred seven push-ups Nearly my personal best as Batman hey. What? The last of Master Shao's disciples wishes to avenge his master's death against the one who wears the mask of his assassin The former Batman You wear the mask of Tengu? Prepare to pay for the murder you committed with your life But I am not the assassin We both know that I vowed never to kill, right Lady Shiva?
1: Ah, but you wear the mask now
0: you asked me to retrain you, to make you fit once more to be the Batman. You must defeat this final foe to complete your training. I can see why Bruce picked this old lumber camp for training in, but who's the attacker? Dunno,
1: but that's the Lady Shiva in the black jumpsuit, and she's twice as deadly.
0: This guy's the toughest so far. Those rice flails are giving him quite an edge. You're
1: losing, Masked One. are this last test, and you will not only forsake your right to
0: claim the Batman's name, but you will die! She's not kidding. Got to even the sticks. Only by killing him can you pass. Only by breaking your vows. It is the hidden cost of accepting me as your teacher. I suspected all along that your training would come to this. I have no choice but to use the ultimate sanction. Fire! No! He's dead! You broke your vow never to kill! You passed the test. Honor is satisfied. You killed the last disciple. Farewell, Batman. Nightwing. Robin. You weren't supposed to see this. Bruce! You killed a man! You've made yourself no better than John Paul Valley! It was. Okay. Hello, lovely people. Better. Is that better? It's better. Why are you try one? Hello, lovely people.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but mine was lacklustre, but yours wasn't.
1: No, I've i tried to sound friendly. Okay. Fair I, right. I I try to pretend I don't have a cold. Um, go on. I was just gonna say you're leaving this in because you could have Adam come down and go. Hello, everybody.
0: We could, yes. I, I was going well, to leave all this in. I'm going to. Uh, yes. Hello, everybody. Lost my train of thought though for a second. And welcome to week two of our epic coverage of *Night's End*.
1: Epic. It's epic. It's. it's not
0: quite as epic as *Nightfall*, is it? It's not the story's not as epic as *Nightfall*, though, is it? Um, today four shiny, lovely comic books. For your delectation and delight. No, none of these are shiny. Considering this is the 90s, there are no enhanced covers on any of these. Uh, Robin 8 is Night 10 Part 5. Catwoman 12 is Night 10 Part 6. Uh, Batman 510 is Night 10 Part 7. And Shadow of the Bat 30 is Night 10 Part 8. But first. What do we do first, Michael? What do we do first? We tell everyone who we are and what we're doing, don't we? We do. Oh, the level of professionalism on this show. Uh, welcome to Hey Kids Comics.
1: Just read the script, Dad. I
0: don't have a script for this, but I'm winging it. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. He's Michael Leyland. Also ashamed. Uh, why are you ashamed? <laughs> no. Oh, God. Um, the reason we don't have a script for this is because we wrote the notes for all... How many issues is this? About 13? 12 13? Yeah. Something like that. All on one document. Because we couldn't decide how we were going to split it up, could we? You know. We couldn't decide whether we were going to do two shows or three shows, and we ultimately decided to do three shows because Michael came up with the idea of doing the emails every week instead of doing a special email show.
1: It makes sense. It, no, I'm
0: not, I'm not dissing up We're trying the idea out for size. We're seeing how it fits. We're, we're endeavouring to respond to our critics in a more timely manner. And what I was going to say before yeah. you interrupted was it's a good job that we did. Oh, okay. Because this week we have a number of shiny emails. Do it. Yes, we do. The first one is from Andrew Morton. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew Michael. What? Uh, see, we said a lot to He said a lot to us. It's like he's here, isn't it, it? It is, yeah. It's like he's in the room with us. It's like Skype, <laughs> but without the Skype.
1: It's do you know what a people
0: should do? Chat bit at the bottom. They should send us an MP3 audio feedback, and we could intercut our responses, and it would be like they were on the show. We should. Actually. That's an excellent idea, isn't it? Be pain in the ass to edit. Probably, but since I do all of that, you wouldn't care, would you? I edit sometimes. Yeah, you'll be editing whatever it is that we're doing next. That's your baby. Andrew says I am currently listening to week four of your Spider-Man Month series of episodes I doubt he's currently listening to it, as oh. in right at this minute I would like to maybe propose maybe he he's
1: to it again he liked it so much
0: maybe he is yes do you listen to us again no well there you go <laughs> uh, I would like to propose an alternative theory as to why newspaper speculation over the new Doctor ceased when Christopher Eccleston was announced maybe and I realise this idea is out of left field just maybe it was because once now she'd look rather stupid if you were still speculating so would be cast. <laughs> Oh
1: dear! That's what I meant to say, but probably <laughs> it was in the last place that I looked. Well, cos you're not going to carry on looking. No, no. What I meant was,
0: when they were treating the whole bringing back Doctor Who was a joke, and the casting of Krista Eccleston stopped that. Granted, then they announced that they were casting Billy Piper. And <laughs> one step forward, two steps back. But she, she worked out in the end. All things considered. Uh, But this isn't a Doctor Who podcast, continues Andrew. No, it's an intriguing idea, though. Mm. So let's talk Spider-Man. I haven't read a lot of Spider-Man in comics. You have a lot in common with Michael. I own Spider-Man Essential Volume 1, as well as the Back in Black trade, and my local library had most of the trades of the Straczynski run, which I very much enjoyed, but more on that later. Spider-Man, for me, was a cartoon character, with me watching a lot of the 60s series and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I watched two episodes of Spider-Man's Amazing Friends last week. Was it any good? It's good in the sense that it's very nostalgic for me because I watched it when it was on and I was really surprised by how much of that first episode I remembered. So I'd find it trash. You probably wouldn't enjoy it. (laughs) Because a lot of it was tied into I remember remember this music, I remember this scene. Uh, I watched the very first episode (laughs) Revenge of the Green Goblin whereby for some strange reason Norman Osborn becomes the Green Goblin. He doesn't put a suit on. The purple bits of his suit are costume, but he becomes the Green Goblin in every other respect.
1: Oh, okay. Which I
0: didn't quite understand. But it was an enjoyable enough episode. And then I watched the one Luke Giaconetti mentioned where it explained how they got all their supercomputerized equipment and Tony Stark was in it. Oh, And right. the Beetle was in it. And that was alright as well. They were okay. They were, they were of the time. They were very much like Dungeons and Dragons and He-Man. And Kid Video. <laughs> hopefully nothing like kid video. Uh, anyway, back to Andrew's email. I thought the 90s series was brilliant at the time, with long story arcs and great animation, but it's become quite dated. Um, yeah, I'm nearing the end of season three of the 90s Spider-Man show. The third season is the best of the lot so far. Oh, I that one? It's the one where it doesn't just feel like they've shoehorned a guest star in every week if there's a guest star in it it feels like he belongs though they've just had Peter Parker on trial because he was set up by Richard Fisk and of course Matt Murdock was his lawyer and that's very organic I liked that so so far this has been the best series it is dated it is very 90s it's got nowhere near the psychological richness that the Batman animated series has Mm. but in contrast it does have the overarching continuity which is very nice that the Batman animated series didn't really have certainly for the first couple of years. Yeah. So it's pauses for courses. All things considered, I think Batman's a better show. But I'm I'm certainly not not enjoying Spider Man. Mm. And the Sam Raimi movies are pretty much remakes of the cartoons. Are they? Okay. Yeah. There's so much in those cartoons that you just lifted straight for the films. Fair enough. Um, I also enjoyed the MTV CGI series Yes. so it was a shame they only did 13 years. that's your favourite that one isn't it, it? Is. the one with Neil Patrick Harris as Spider-Man Doctor Horrible himself I'm a master. and the Music Meister and the Music Master yes from yeah. that episode of Brave and the Bold um, I haven't seen any of the most recent series Ultimate Spider-Man which sounds a bit pants so I haven't bothered tracking it down we watched the first two in Florida didn't we it's enjoyable
1: uh, I've not felt compelled to watch any more, though. No. Which I, I think I, says I, it all. I do like its movie continuity. Do you? A bit of it, because the, the ultimate uh, the comic is... The movie, movies are set in the Ultimate Universe. So you keep saying, I'm not thoroughly convinced of no, this. No, I read... Well, the
0: Avengers movie, and I am not the
1: Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Right. In... Um, when X-Men 2 was out, in mm-hmm. an article in Empire, I remember reading... That the movies were set in Ultimate, in the Ultimate Universe.
0: I'm not entirely convinced by that. There's elements of the Ultimates in them. Yeah, but, but the Avengers, the new recent Joss Whedon Avengers, is very, very old school.
1: Well, the the Ultimate Spider-Man is very much set in movie continuity. Okay, I'm not doubting you. Even with Agent Coulson, though, I'm failing to see where he's going to go in Ultimate Spider-Man now.
0: Well, maybe it's an alternate reality. Maybe. But no, let's not mention that anymore for, people, six one two. Yes. for people who haven't seen the Yes, people haven't seen the Avengers yet. I don't know if it's my age, continues Andrew, being just the right side of 30. Is it's there a 20. wrong side of 30 Yeah, that's 40. It. Shut it's up! The right side. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> but stories where Peter is older, as in the aforementioned JMS run, pack more emotional weight with me since I find it all too easy to dismiss teenage angst, which is what drives the drama during the earlier years. Saying that, you should take this paragraph with unhealthy levels of salt since I haven't read much of the early stuff beyond Essentials, Volume 1. See? See, I, I, I like the old Peter Parker. I have... I don't... See, dis- I'm getting this reputation now, aren't I? <laughs> I don't dislike older Peter Parker. I don't dislike the idea of him being married (laughs) I personally believe that it is so embedded into the DNA of the character of Spider-Man that he be a teenager that once you take him away from that you've taken him away from his original conceit and once he's a 35 year old Peter Parker how is he in anywhere different from the Flash
1: he can't run really fast
0: well you know what I mean (laughs) in terms of being a character I'm not against it. I don't dislike it. I've not thrown away all my Spider-Man comics from issue 100, 200 and something whenever he got married.
1: Yeah.
0: But at the same time, I I honestly think it's so an essential part of the character that he'd be a young bloke. Once he gets past 21, 22, you're starting to go into, well, why is he not more successful? I like Peter growing. Well, all right. If you're going to do that, go all the way. The Spider-Girl comic is Peter Parker a 45-year-old man. Yeah. Why did that not sell through the roof if that's what people want? If they want a Peter Parker that continues to grow and get older and have kids, the Spider-Girl book should have been the best-selling book on the market. Why because, wasn't it?
1: and I will tie this back to what we're covering. Okay. What people want isn't necessarily what is right. What they need? Yeah. Okay. There, there we go. Fair
0: enough. <laughs> Finally... I would like to ask if you've read the novel Secrets of the Sinister Six by Adam Troy Castro it is the only Spider-Man novel I've ever seen read and would be interested to hear your thoughts on it keep up the great work thanks Andrew Morton I have a Spider-Man novel Uh, the only Spider-Man novels I've read are Peter David's adaptations of the films I've Um, never read any Spider-Man novels we have
1: a really old one where he fights oh we've got
0: one by Diane Duane haven't we
1: the lizard yeah
0: but I've never read it Right, yeah. I may dig that out and read it. I P.S., it. said Andrew, it was great to hear that Views from the Long Box was returning. Yes, it was. I like Views from the Long Box. Have you listened to it with me on it? No. Okay. I've listened to part one of Andrew's guest appearance and Eagerly Awake, part two. Oh well, I hope it wasn't too disappointing. P.S., am I crazy or did Michael do a podcast about Arkham City? if I'm not mad I'd like to hear it but I can't find it please could you send me a download link thanks again oh, you are oh like yes crazy, I need but yes I did uh, I'll need to send him that link uh, so Michael did that with Scotty Gardner on the two true freaks it's not about Arkham City but well, you talk a lot oh. about Arkham City it's the
1: only thing we could talk about <laughs> right,
0: so, so you need to go over to two true freaks and find it you didn't do it as part of this show did you no there is talk of the moon another more? one of them yeah. Get in touch with Scotty, you know where he is. I,
1: I was gonna, I'm not, I'm not on school now, I can do as many as I want. Yeah, you can do what you want.
0: Our next email is from Stephen Lacey. Oh, him again. <laughs> What's he gonna drag me over the coals for now? He won't leave you alone, this guy. He's alright, Steve. Steve does, I do fantastic casts with Steve, there you go, he can cleanse it up, pimp him enough. <laughs> and he does 20 minute long box, which <laughs> you is, is a lot bitch of fun. Now. I am bitch. <laughs> The tagline is Spidey Issues, which I only mention because he follows it up in his email. Well, not really an issue, more of a thanks for covering Amazing Spider Man 400. You're very welcome.
1: Okay. Even though. Did he want you to do that as well? I
0: have no idea. Even though it comes at the height of the Clone Saga, Amazing Spider Man 400 is one of the best Spider Man comics ever, by the virtue of putting everything else to one side to allow Peter to say goodbye to May. Her telling Peter that she knew of his heroism and the time they spent together is wonderful, and the final goodbye is so gently beautiful that even with your gruff northern tones. <laughs> Quoting Peter Pan, I struggled to hold back a tear, Steve. Gruff no, That was me being sensitive! <laughs> Obviously, you buy it. obviously i don't do sensitive i'm, I'm not, I'm first, not. Star
1: on I'm first star up to left on up
0: morning on foot on foot morning stop hey. off for some chips Aye, chip man uh well thank you very much i think in put. ps please plug things <laughs> oh our next email is from michael bailey spider-man month week start. four Hey there, Leyland. Hey there, Michael. Hey there, Michael. The latest episode is fantastic. Well, thank you very much. We we put a lot of effort into it. We, well, 50% of us does. Or at least what I have gone through so far is fantastic. But I hold high hopes that it will remain so. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> set the bar low. Yeah, yeah, as long as the bar's set pretty low, yeah. you won't be disappointed. <laughs> Uh, this email will be written in stages I'm trying to get my thoughts to your thoughts out so they come through the speakers or headphones Amazing Spider-Man 300 is one of my favourites of that era of the character's history, mostly because it introduced what I consider to be the best of the modern, uh, to my sense of modern, which stretches from 1980 to today, villain for Spider-Man. Andy kept mentioning how oversaturated Venom became, and I have to agree, which is a true shame for the character. Whilst the Green Goblin and then Doctor Octopus were considered Peter's arch enemies before Amazing Spider-Man 300, Venom represented something that Spider-Man hadn't, to my mind, had up at that point, an evil opposite. The Goblin and Octopus both served their rules well as the arch enemies, with the Goblin being a powerful adversary who had a personal hatred, and Octopus being the but-for-the-grace-of-God-go-I type of villain. Venom was powerful, had a personal hatred, and had the same abilities, more or less, that Peter did. Well, I thought the character got quite silly after a fashion those early appearances were dynamite. Andy called into question Brock's motivation, and I have to admit that he's right overall. See? Me? Right. I like when people say that. Because it's so often untrue in real life. Yeah. <laughs> the hatred that Brock feels is quite thin. Going back further, uncovering something Andy brought up about Peter not being able to survive the bells this time despite surviving them before. In Web of Spider-Man number four, the symbiote pulls Peter away from the bells, thus saving his life. Yes. Somebody else pointed that out somewhere. I forget what. Um, yeah, I went back and looked at Web of Spider-Man number one and you're absolutely right, Michael. I... barred up.
1: Now, go on. What? 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 I
0: distinctly remembered Peter stumbling down the steps of the church himself. Okay. And so, were you you right? No. So what were you then? I was. I was incorrect (laughs) in my assertion. In my assumption. That was recorded. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so I went back to check whether Spider-Man Three. When a couple of people pointed this out to me, and yes, yes, I hanged my head in shame. (laughs) So my memory was so vivid of him. Falling or stumbling down the steps himself, that I didn't bother going checking it when I really should have done. But I didn't, so I appreciate people pointing it out, kind of. Ish. you don't appreciate them pointing out <laughs> yes anyway Michael continues the email it made for a dramatic moment in that issue but if the symbiote's hatred was so deep why would it bother to save Peter this is where subsequent retellings in both the ultimate universe on the animated series and especially in the third theatrical film made the hatred seem more plausible Spider-Man 3 gets a lot of grief and much of it is deserved but I absolutely loved the Eddie Brock venom angle to the film until the end where everything went a little as Al would say caca by having Brock be Peter's opposite in the civilian lives, it made him being Spider-Man's op- that opposite that much more powerful. Yeah, I see. I don't think Spider-Man Three is as cack as everyone says. Oh, I do. Do you? Yeah. It needs to get rid of all that Sandman stuff it about does. the the baby girl and it's Spider-Man being responsible for Peter Parker's uncle's death, especially
1: with him letting him go. Yeah, that
0: that needs to be gone. Sp- Sandman should be just in it as a bruiser. Mm. and who teams up with Venom at the end and there I should be
1: live no story at all no
0: because <laughs> what's wrong with him just being evil
1: well yeah you know or, or he should show up and say Spiderman I'd like to introduce to the Avengers
0: initiative no Sam Jackson should show up and do that another little minor bit of business about ASM 300 Mary Jane allows Peter to take a picture of it without the benefit of clothing yes I'm curious why Dan Slott or one of the other writers never picked up on this and had those pictures be found or stolen and then posted online it seems in this day and age nude photos of celebrities pop up all the time and while I wouldn't hang a 12 issue mega arc around it I think that since the relationship and then living together still happened it might make for a good subplot ah but the pictures were taken after they were married and And they now never got married so certain events we have been informed by Joey the Q never happened as
1: we saw them so that may not now have happened it could have because in one moment in time she does say to him that she never she only wanted to get married with him to have children and that if they weren't going to have children there was no point in getting married because she felt they were already as close as they would be if they did get married Fair enough happened. I'm not saying it didn't. I just think Michael wants naked pictures
0: of Mary Jane. (laughs) Which is fair enough. I suppose. You know, if I was a drawing you would, wouldn't you? (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man 400 will bring a tear to my eye just about every time I read it or even in my gruff northern voice (laughs) while I wasn't collecting the Spider-Man books at the time I did read the issue soon after it came out in my friend's dorm room during my second semester of college even though I'm pretty on record as someone who on the whole detests Sam May as a character yes yes you're pretty on the record of that This was, as Andy pointed out, a fitting send-off for her as a character. And it's a shame that it was later retconned because this story had real power to it. Love Mark Bagley's arc and his Spider-Man in particular. Great show as always, guys. Look forward to the next one. Mike. You're very welcome, Michael. I'm glad you... I hope that that, uh, as you carried on listening, we didn't let you down. (laughs) Um, To make up for the week that he didn't send us an email... And you lamented that fact, didn't you? I did. Michael sent us another
1: email. Oh, good. Excellent. Hello again, Leyland. Is it him saying no, I was let down by the rest yeah. of episode? <laughs> I listened to the rest of your episode.
0: God, it was crap. <laughs> As I was writing my last email, there was this nagging feeling that was screaming at me that basically kept repeating, Hey, you're forgetting something. You want to mention something, but you were in the car on the way to work. You were listening to that portion of the episode, so you couldn't write it down and not get into an accident. I wonder if it yelled at him in a British accent. It could have. That it be, was your voice. It was my voice saying, Mike, you've got to email me because you're forgetting something. The nagging voice in his head is you. That would explain a great <laughs> many things, wouldn't it? I thought it was just you who had that nagging voice. No. <laughs> Everyone's now got my nagging voice in their head. <laughs> Probably saying stuff like, Doom likes this! <laughs> Uh, as I was, lo- <laughs> Michael's email continues. As I was looking for some comics in my atrociously out of order comic book collection, you tell me how many comics have I lost recently, I can't find Fatal Number Two. I lost an issue of Avengers yesterday from Roger Stern's run. I just cannot find it. I had it on Sunday, and that's what two. I was reading it. Uh, I lost Avengers Spider-Man Number Five, apparently. It was, didn't I? It like didn't I, Michael? No, it was issue three. Whatever it was. I, I lost it, didn't I? If you're going to accuse me of stealing comics, at least get the right number. I didn't accuse you of stealing it. I accused you of losing it. And you said, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I did.
1: I didn't. It was under your bed. All right. When fine. I found it, it was under your bed. You
0: don't want to go under our bed. Um, I need to get my comic book collection in order and soon, says Michael. It hit me what I wanted to tell you. And express some... Well, curiosity's the wrong word, as he seemed like he could give less than a crap about the subject, and that's, I didn't mean to come across as I came, as I gave less than a crap about it. There's very little here. Yeah. More than a crap about there it. There is, there is that, yeah, but I, I don't dislike, well, I'm, I'm not really bothered about them, but I understand why people collect trading cards and baseball cards. It's an cards. addiction. Yeah, I get why they do it, it's just not my bag. I did used to get, I mean, I don't dislike anybody's hobby, unless... You know it's collecting human heads in which case <laughs> that that's, that's probably going a bit far and I collect comics so that's a glass house really isn't it? I shouldn't be chucking bricks around but I did used to get the bubblegum cards the Star Wars and Superman and I think they did Battlestar Galactica bubblegum cards
1: are those things did you get where you had the book and you all put them in
0: it? That were there with, with Tazos Oh yeah well, I've still got that full box of Star Wars Tazos you got all of them? I've got all of them That's a complete boot that that's so sad, isn't it? So I didn't mean to sound like I couldn't give less than a crap about it. I do apologise. Anyway, the Marvel rookie cards were in that hot ad in the summer of 1993. DC Comics had a crossover called Bloodlines, (sighs) (laughs) where they tried to introduce a bunch of new superheroes and ended up creating one of the worst crossovers in DC history, and a veritable legion of forgettable characters. Only one of them. Outside of Hitman. Yeah. Yeah, only Hitman went on to accomplish anything, didn't he? Mm. Marvel tried something similar, minus the sucky crossover attempt, and most of their annuals introduced a new hero. All of these came bagged with a trading card of the character, thus marking the one and only time the vast majority of these characters would ever get a trading card. I've never read any of these annuals, but I'm working under the assumption that they range from barely readable to complete crap. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I've read any of them so I can't comment and they also joked about Wonder Man getting an annual yes the, the excessive 90s whilst I can't comment on the annual the series written mainly by Gerard Jones was a lot of fun and until the late teens of the book was rather light hearted until he went all grim and gritty because it was the 90s and that sort of thing just had to happen if you ever see the early issues in the 50p bin did I spell that right I suggest grabbing them uh, yeah you can't misspell P really <laughs> as a rule uh, cheers mates, Mike uh, yeah, the, the Wonder Man thing was just me goofing off. The idea that Wonder Man could carry his own series for any length of time just seemed very 90s to me, where everyone was getting their own series, whether they deserved it or not. It may very well have been very good. I have I have not read it. I have no opinion on the matter. Um, Luke Jackanetti emailed in. Spider-Man month number four. Leyland one and Leyland two. Assign numbers per your own Leyland preference. Well. We should get Thing One and Thing Two t shirts made up and change thing to Leyland. Yeah. <laughs> oh we cool. Oh we should sit here in our two true freaks t shirts that Wait. Scott Gardner gave us.
1: But then we're promoting another people's podcast on our own.
0: It's an audio show, they won't see what we're wearing. I mean I'm sat here at the moment naked. Well, what
1: <laughs> <laughs> well what's the point of wearing the two true freaks t shirts then if
0: Because we could take a photo of us recording. Right. Oh, we could do what you said, do a video podcast and wear bags over our heads yeah. with two True Freaks t shirts. That would be awesome. Anyway, I got distracted <laughs> from Luke's email. Do you know this episode's going to be over and we won't have covered any of the comics we're going to cover tonight?
1: Yeah.
0: I uh, just finished up the fourth episode of Spider Man Month on Hey Kids Comics. And astoundingly enough, I'd read a full 66.6% of the comics you guys covered this week. Be still, my beating heart. Yeah, is that because we mentioned that he wrote in one week and completely neglected to mention one of yeah. the comics we covered? <laughs> that amused me. That was very funny. Uh, firstly, Amazing Spider Man 300. Like Michael, I first read this story in the Spider Man vs. Venom trade paperback and reread it and reread it. And reread it. I loved this story. Get in the trade when I was 12 and on some weekends would read it several times or even read it over and over after homework during the week or before bed. So to say that I am familiar with Amazing Spider-Man 300 is something of an understatement. Some bits which I adore. No spider sense. The idea of an enemy who get close to the webhead without him realising it is too cool. It is pretty good because it's Venom that nullifies the spider sense, isn't it? Yeah. Because it had been... Green Goblin had nullified his spider sense before that with some chemical thing, because that's how he learned who Peter Parker was, wasn't it? And subsequently, Dan Slott has removed his Spider-Sense, but since given it him back. With his ninja powers. So it is an idea that's been played with before, but Venom is the only adversary, as far as I can remember, who completely nullifies the Spider-Sense. Eddie praying for forgiveness for contemplating suicide. You guys talked a bit about the speculation of Peter's religion on the episode, but Eddie is a Catholic, so his guilt is understood. Compare this scene to the similar one in Spider-Man 3, where Eddie goes to the church to pray for God to take down Spider-Man. So lame. I had to refrain my groan at that moment when I saw Spider-Man 3 in the theatres. Yeah, well, we've mentioned before we wouldn't be surprised to learn Peter Parker was a Catholic.
1: Mm, It's certainly... Hasn't it been hinted at?
0: I don't, see the kind—the kind of, to kind of stay away from that, by and large, with regards to religious affiliation. I don't know why. <laughs> Certainly wouldn't offend anybody, I, I don't think. To that, oh. Peter Parker be a Catholic. Uh, Venom kills the cop, but he feels a lot of remorse for it. <laughs> that That's makes it fun. Yeah, that so reminds me of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, were shooting and bang bang, are firing at Arthur and Marvin and Zephod and all that lot, and they go, "We're not just shooting you. We're going to shoot you and then go home and agonise for our girlfriends about it." Uh, So it's okay that he felt bad about it, fair enough. This would become a theme for Venom under David Michelini. Eddie wanted to do the right thing, even though what he thought the right thing was wasn't always correct. The turning point comes in Amazing Spider-Man 374, when Eddie changes Venom's face to a less scurry one to talk to some kids he run across, which starts the gears turning for what would eventually become Lethal Protector. Less scurry, by adding a tongue. But no, I think he took, I don't know, I do have 374, I don't remember the story.
1: Did he remove the mouth? Possibly.
0: In the cartoon... did he turn it into a clown? In the (laughs) 90s... That would be great. Made him with big clown feet and a big red nose. (laughs) In the 90s cartoon he does keep flipping his head back. Yeah. So that you can see Eddie Brock's face. Uh, Venom wearing his priestly robes on top of the bell tower. See the Catholicism comment above. As a Catholic, I always thought this scene looked great. And it makes it hard to think about priestly robes in quite the same way again. <laughs> I bet it does. The wrenching strain on Spidey's shoulder as he gets out of the bell. I will admit, I'd never thought about the use of the spider powers in this scene. But the way which McFarlane renders the tremendous pull on Spidey's shoulder was fantastic. MJ's mascara running down her face when Peter comes home to the apartment. This made an impact on me as how Scurry Venom really was. I think we mentioned that, didn't we? Mm. That it was odd to see Murray Jane Scurry. On an opposite note, scurry MJ's. Mary Jane. Scurry. But MJ looking scurred <laughs> Sorry, not like a clown. Funny, like a clown. On an opposite note, MJ's lingerie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? What that? That's what he's wrote. I'm only. I'm only saying what he's wrote. <laughs> I don't think he intended it quite with that inflection, really and certainly not that accent.
1: But I'm, I'm just interpreting
0: the spirit of
1: the email. It's a very arousing interpretation.
0: Yeah, well, that's what he. Th- I'm sure as a 13-year-old boy, Mary Jane <laughs> in lingerie uh, aroused him no end. <laughs> See my frisky comment from an earlier email. Needless to say, it's, oh, he's 12, not 13. As a 12-year-old boy, I... Uh, Liked this scene. Did you really? <laughs> oh, it was that particular page, Luke, was, was that one the one that the spine was bent over on the boot? You know when you've got a boot <laughs> and the spine's bent, it's always on one particular page. Yeah. I wonder if it was that page. also see MJ taking her top off. We, we didn't actually see it. Um, Peter David did a storyline in Web of Spider-Man where Mary Jane posed for cheesecake shots. Okay. Because they needed some money and she'd never done that before. I don't remember the exact storyline but I do remember it being the cover Um, one of the movers is complaining about missing the Nets game I think for some reason it just makes me smile the New Jersey Nets are a professional basketball team thank you I completely went over my head Part of Eddie's downfall is that he's already kind of nuts beforehand. In the Venom Dark Origin miniseries, we find out Eddie's obsession with getting recognition and praise dates back to his childhood. His big moment in the spotlight being ruined by Spider-Man, which basically pushes him over the head and into a depression. That depression then turns into rage, and hence we have Venom. Is that not something just retconning the fact that the motivation as given an amazing Spider-Man 300 is quite weak? Mm. The guy who pretended to be the Sin Eater actually does come back. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, because it would strike me as a bit odd that he didn't come back, seems everybody in comics comes back. In the Venom miniseries Sinner Takes All, there is a new Sin Eater, and the cops arrest the guy who had confessed to Eddie. He's still not the Sin Eater, but it did make a callback to this poor guy, at least. I could talk about old-school Venom all day, so I will move on, as this is not a Venom podcast. Ooh, there's an idea. Luke said that, not me. Yeah. Regarding Spectacular Spider-Man 200, this was the one issue which I had not read, although I did read the very next issue as it's part five of Maximum Carnage. And he's put a little smiley face there. Because a winky face. I think I've made my feelings on Maximum Carnage. known. Maybe we should cover Maximum Carnage. Because you like it, don't you? Yeah. I think that's an age thing. Fair enough. I really do. If I'd have been ten when I read Maximum Carnage, I'd probably like it a lot more. As it is, I think Carnage is lamer than lame. <laughs> uh, I do, however, remember the cover very clearly from Wizard Magazine. I remember thinking that the force of the Green Goblin was dead. <laughs> it does sound like a cool story, though, and I liked hearing about the elements, which would be recycled Fuse in the movies and whatnot. I will have to keep an eye on the cheap copy for that one. Yeah, do amazing. Spectacular Spider-Man 200, sorry, is really good. Um, but if you're going to pick up Spectacular Spider-Man 200, you need to pick up all of DeMatteis' run, because essentially 200 is the culmination of his two years on the book. It works as a standalone story, although you disagreed with me on that, didn't you? A bit, yeah. But I recommend De Mateus run on Spectacular. I think it's really good. He's the Asbats of Spider Man. Who is? Carnage. Yes, He's like he is. The Asbats yeah. of Venom. Yes. He's Asbats to Venom's Batman.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Now then, Amazing Spider Man 400. This one I bought off the rack as I was reading the Clone Saga at this point. I remember the double cover thing and I remember it aren't being very terribly impressed either. I also remember seeing a lot of copies and in fact seeing them to this day with that secondary cover ripped off. Oh really? Mm. I think it gets caught on other comics in a stack and then just turns. It's very cheap looking and doesn't do it for me. I never minded the gimmick covers so much. I love the foil covers on various issues of Iron Man from this time period but I don't exactly miss them either. Um, some of them are cool aren't yeah. they? The holograms were cool. And the but glossy cover of Spectacular Spider-Man 200 was cool.
1: Yeah. But when they failed, these spectacular, Yeah, failed.
0: Amazing Spider-Man 400 was an epic fail, wasn't it? Mm. That was a terrible... Even the creators think that was an epic fail. The bit I mainly remember about this issue was Ben being on the outside looking in when Aunt May dies. A few months later, when the big reveal came down, I talked about it with my Spider-Fan friend Andrew, and he thought it was very cool that the real Peter had to watch through the window while the clone got to be by the bedside. He makes a good point, but as he's par for the course at this point, Ben Reilly's life sucks, so it's not overly surprising that it happens to him either. The death of Anne May was a huge deal at this point, one of those big changes which happened with some regularity in the 90s. Say what you will about the 90s comic scene, and there is a lot of bad things to say, but there was a certain daring of boldness associated with the area. The era? The era. Where if you thought you could kill a sacred cow to tell a good story, then you were allowed to do it. Could you kill Superman or break Batman or reveal Spider Man to be a clone nowadays? I don't think so. Although they kill Spider Man in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. And as far as I know, he's still dead.
1: And the rumours of them killing Batman? What, again? Um, Well, in the movies. Oh, in the film...
0: Down our Rises Mm. Uh, but in the 90s you could do that it was the right mix of the growth of the direct market the lack of interest from movie studios the lack of availability of the spoilers on the internet and the rise of creators who'd grown up reading the characters which meant you could do stories like this and the audience would be on board with it like Andy says the clone saga was a huge hit as was death funeral rain and nightfall over at DC so clearly readers were excited about the story and wanted to see it play out the problem was Marvel went too far but that's a tangent for another time No, we can tangent off on that one now the clone saga was supposed to have a definite endpoint. But it carried on. But it was selling well. So the new people who just took over Marvel said, This is selling well, make it last longer. Okay. Make it last longer. Keep making it last longer. So they kept making it last longer. And it just got more and more confusing and ridiculous as it went along. Uh quick <clears throat> real quick regarding the HOT comics from ETM. I love that everyone who writes into us writes hot comics in capital letters. Of all the Image Comics you mentioned, the only one I have is Shadowhawk 2, Issue 1. The titling is because Jim's Valentino's Shadowhawk was a series of series, so this is the second mini Shadow Shadowhawk is one of my favourite books from the era, and I will defend it to this day. Good. I like it when people defend stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah, Granted,
0: I've not read Shadowhawk, so it could be one of the greatest pieces of comic art yeah. to ever come out of the comic book medium. Could be the Ulysses of the comics. It could, yeah. It could be Gilgamesh. I doubt um, it. I doubt it, but well, you never know. Um, Unlike its mega violent contemporaries, the violence from the hero in Shadowhawk is treated with disgust and shock from the other characters. The book did not glorify violence or machismo, instead showing it as a cycle which bred more and more carnage. Jim Valentino was the other image founder because he was not a hot artist like Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane or Rob Liffield. He instead brought some real indie chops to the book and thus his book reads a lot different from the other image titles of the period. Just some food for thought. Oh, I may pick that up there. i see that in the cheap bins. I'd, uh, I'd be interested in that. I didn't buy. I'd have said, actually, I've made a mistake. So well, there you go, I was wrong again. Okay. On Mike Bailey's view from the Long Box show, not only did I, I said Spectacular Spider Man only ran for 220 odd issues when it ran for something like 260. I made a slight foo by that. Yeah. I also said that after buying a couple of issues of Spawn, I never bought another image book until Walking Dead. That was wrong. I remembered afterwards I bought Jerry Ordway's Wild Star... Was it Sky Zero or Storm Zero or something? I I bought that four-issue miniseries because Jerry Ordway's artwork in that series is gorgeous. But other than that, I didn't buy another image book till The Walking Dead. Also, of course, Wonder Man... Everyone's jumped on the Wonder Man thing, haven't they? Yeah. Who'd have thought Wonder Man had so many fans? And uh, Wonder Man had an annual and an ongoing series and it rocked! and no I'm not joking I believe you because Mike Bailey said the same thing so I have no reason to doubt what you say it's like Wonder Woman but with no boobs so, so where's the <laughs> fun in that <there>, then <laughs> and one last thing Andy you mentioned that there were three Transformers books and a G.I. Joe boot when you dropped comics after the Hobgoblin reveal in 1986 I hate to nitpick but you going to do <laughs> of anyway of course but I think you have this backwards I probably I probably just wrote the wrong numbers in my notes mm. And as we know, when I read my notes, I've often made a mistake. Didn't we say that Punisher debuted in, Punish in Spider-Man 141 at one point? Did you we made a complete mistake at some point. Uh, there was one Transformers book, the ongoing series which at this point was still being written by Marvel editor Bob Badainske, who helped create all of the original Transformers characters. And three G.I. Joe books. The monthly title, by Larry Hammer and Rod Wiggum. Special missions, a side series which allowed for one-off stories to be told. And occasionally crossed over with the main books, so do you think that was like a Legends of the Dark Knight type thing? Probably. And Order of Battle, which was the G.I. Joe version of Who's Who, which ironically enough I'm currently reading. Both Transformers and G.I. Joe are well-regarded books, despite being licensed toy property comics because of their strong narrative continuity and highly involved backstories. Understanding that they are not your cup of tea, but they were, as odd as it sounds, some of the best Marvel comics being published in this era. Yeah, I don't want you to get the impression I was dissing on licensed books, though. I love licensed comics.
1: Okay. And
0: my favourite comic book at the moment is The Bionic Man. Yeah, And that's a really great series. Uh, growing up, obviously I loved Marvel's Star Wars series and the Indiana Jones book, DC Star Trek. I thought Marvel's Battlestar Galactica series in the late 70s was frequently better than the series. I just think... It was not take much. Well, I just think with Transformers and G.I. Joe, I just think I was the wrong age.
1: Mm.
0: If I'd been ten when Transformers and G.I. Joe came out. If well maybe not G.I. Joe because G.I. Joe didn't get shown over. If you were
1: ten you'd have enjoyed everything. If
0: I was ten when Transformers hit, I suspect it would have been like Star Wars was for me. Okay. I think I would have been into the animated series and into the faction figures and into the comics and it's I think it was just I was just the wrong age for it. I'm not dissing on Transformers or G.I. Joe. I know that both properties have big followings mm. as evidenced by the fact that both of them still have comic book series being published today Yeah. Um, does IDW do both Yeah. G.I. Joe and Transformers so the, I'm not dissing on licensed comics I think I was just too old to get bitten by the, the whole Transformers thing and as I said G.I. Joe was never shown over here other than as Action Force which again I don't think I watched I did watch Transformers Robots in Disguise. So I liked the cartoon series but I liked it in the sense that I watched it because it was on. I've only seen the film. What, the new one with Megan Fox?
1: God, that was awful but Mm. no, the old animated one.
0: Oh, you had the film on DVD? Not DVD, video? Yeah.
1: Didn't you? I've got it on DVD too.
0: Oh, brilliant. Anyway, this is super long so I will sign off. Thanks again for a great episode. Can't wait to hear the top ten next week, Luke. Well, I hope you weren't disappointed with my top ten. Bear in mind, they were favourites, not best. And finally in terms of emails good because we're about 40 minutes into the show uh, Dave Walker's emailed in Hey guys, hey Dave since Luke keeps getting all the attention from writing in weekly, <laughs> I thought I'd send in at least one regarding your Spider-Man celebration stuff. Firstly, the animated series from the 90s was great, although I'd have preferred it if everyone and their mother hadn't had access to laser guns of some sort. I know it's a kind of censorship, but I don't know if that makes it even more annoying to me. Yeah, well, it's a Saturday morning cartoon, so they couldn't really have guns shooting at each other, so they've all got laser unless, weapons.
1: Unless they have bright yellow and orange guns.
0: Yes. So you couldn't smuggle them through customs as if they were real guns. Yeah, that would be great. Anyway, not sure if you knew this or not,
1: but I have heard that the
0: reason for the Hobgoblin showing up prior to the Green Goblin in the series is purely due to the fact they'd started to make the toys for the series before the scripts for the first season were finalised. That would explain a lot. Would it? Yes. Who was a part owner of Toy Biz? Avi Arad. Yes. Who was the executive producer on the Spider-Man cartoon series? Avi Arad. Who has, therefore, a vested interest in making sure that the toys sell well? Avi Arad. Yes. Why do you think Venom showed up first? Because he, because every kid would go, oh wow, Venom. But yes, that as well. But. Avi Who was nagging Sam Raimi throughout every single Spider-Man movie to put Venom in it? Avi That would be correct. When he finally got his way and he put Venom in a movie, it wasn't as good as the other two. Probably still a lot of ties though. Probably. So that does make an awful lot of sense that, Dave. Thank you very much. I didn't really get to see this series when it was on Saturday morning TV due to band practice. Not as cool as it sounds, unfortunately, as it was education and the library boardroom wind band. I don't know what a wind... Wind instruments? <laughs> For a minute there, I was like, what
1: does he mean, a wind band? It's like <laughs> what all <old> people need. <laughs> I, I, was just, I
0: was just thinking, like, do they just fart in, like, notes? That would be so funny. That would be a brilliant band. band that farted on cue in and of itself is genius, but a band that could fart on cue and make it sound like music? Can you imagine the theme from the A-Team being farted?
1: That would be genius! He's have to call himself the Beans.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm really sorry that I realised that that was wind instruments now, because that just sounds like so much fun. Next up, have you read any of the novels, such as the Time's Arrow trilogy, where spider and the X-Men hop around time and end up in a few alternate realities? No, I've not read any of the books. Apart from, as I mentioned, Peter David's, um adaptations of the film I remember it being a fun read and would recommend it think it was by Tom DeFalco who was responsible for me actually starting to buy comics thanks to introducing a new Spider-Man in his Spider-Girl title which was the first title I then started buying regularly in order to find out who it was and then just continuing since I found I've really enjoyed the boot yep Spider-Girl's brilliant I really enjoyed Spider-Girl possible no prize explanation for Peter smacking MJ his pregnant wife across the room since I'm pretty sure it's been brought up once or twice yeah Michael brings it up every week (laughs) is that he still has some of the venom symbiote cells within his body somewhere and they're messing with his brain every once in a while just in case someone tries to turn him into the next Henry Pym (laughs) Uh, yeah haven't they just kind of forgot that that ever happened it never happened anymore Michael just so you know I wasn't into comics at the time and I still knew about Amazing Spider-Man 400 and the death of Aunt Meg when it was coming so it might have been a little bit important there you go um, okay. <laughs> you don't remember saying anything, do you? I don't. That's because you know there's the the show. Strange and possibly random fact, I like Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want before I knew what it was, as I really like the instrumental version from Ferris Bueller. I do enjoy both the she and him and Smith's versions, but I think I have a preference for Zoe's voice. Thanks again, guys. Dave. Uh, see, I'm always of the opinion that cover versions are by definition weaker than the originals, but I do have a soft spot for Zoe de Chanel and she and him. P.S. Don't read the next bit if you've not seen the finale of Castle. (laughs) I mean it. Okay. So what are your thoughts on Castle and Beckett getting together? Do you think there's a possibility that it might go the way of moonlighting? I'm hoping not. Also, were you saddened by the seeming breakup of Ryan and Esposito? Yeah, we were more gutted by Ryan and Esposito. Are you joining in with this bit, Ange? Okay. Excellent. What did you think of Castle and Beckett getting together?
1: I don't know.
0: Excellent. Good. I think it may
1: ruin it.
0: Well, it depends if it only goes for one more season. It doesn't really matter.
1: But it does. Do you think? Yeah.
0: Alright, okay.
1: When Superman and Lois got together. Sorry, Clark and Lois.
0: Rating's tanked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and David. It was a bit cat. Rating's tanked. In fact, Moonlighting was pretty crap after that part. And up to that point, it'd be genius. That Shakespeare episode's brilliant. Yes. Good love. <sighs> Good love. Give me the baby that I love.
1: Good love so that's what he's right. singing when everybody I now that I challenge you to do a full episode without
0: singing oh I don't know about that I don't think I can do that there's an entire audience of 400 and odd people who listen to the show every week who demand that I sing they do yeah they email in regularly saying please sing more yeah actually no one has ever emailed
1: in no, and asked that <laughs> I don't know whether to
0: be offended or not and also yeah we were more gutted about Ryan and Esposito weren't we yeah. We love Ryan and Esposito. If they're going to remake Starsky and Hutch and it can't be Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin, it should be, it should be Ryan and Esposito, shouldn't it? We like them, don't we? Yeah, we, we, were, we were quite gutted about Ryan and Esposito, Dev. Didn't they do Starsky and Hutch with those
1: two in that episode? In what, way? The episode of
0: Castle in together. Well, Adam Baldwin and Nathan Fillion?
1: Yeah. Wait,
0: because they had the cool car and Adam Baldwin was the gruff, no-nonsense, what's-it and... Nathan Fillion's the pretty boy who dresses well. So, yeah, I suppose so. Just if you never
1: got it. Just if yeah, you never you got, got
0: had it. it that, yeah, okay. I can just watch that one episode again and get somebody to rescore it with a wah-wah pedal. Yeah. That would be really cool, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> Excellent. Good. I liked your contribution, though. Kit, can I join in with this conversation? You though? never watched Castle. watch it. I know. So you can't. So thank you, Dave. Uh, yes. Mm. Are we getting back to the show? Yeah, now?
0: getting back to the... 47 minutes in... Do you want to split this into two? Or do you just want to carry on and do night, night's Let's Split it into two if you want. But then we'd be two weeks... We don't really need an extra episode in the bank. Is this we? an interlude? Uh, we're going to put a trailer in for somebody's show. If you've emailed with the trailer, you may hear it here, Uh, and we'll be right back, because we're already 50 minutes into the episode. Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. And they're back. Thank you very much. We have been brought back in by my lovely wife. Thank you, Angela.
1: You're
0: very welcome. Robin Hate. <laughs> I thought we were going to get to this tonight. Didn't what you? did he eat? 8. Robin 8. Number 8. What did he eat? He didn't <laughs> eat anything. Came out on June 7th, 1994. Which is today Bye, Jiminy. Isn't it? Yeah, it's June 7th today. I mean, it's not 1994. Okay. Holy crap. Suddenly, <laughs> you feel old. Suddenly, I feel extremely old. But the fact that Michael
1: doesn't care what date it is because he never has to go to school again doesn't make me
0: old. No, but the fact that this that I bought this comic off the shelf makes me feel old. Did you have blonde hair when you bought it? I had her when I bought her. <laughs> uh, Robin A came out the 7th of June 1994 and as we've established I had her and it was blonde. <laughs> um, although maybe I'd dyed it by that point. Had I dyed? Had I st- had I, was I going through my dyeing her phase? You dyed your hair? No, no, that was later. Was it later? Yeah. You dyed your hair? Yeah, I used to dye my hair different colours. I was punk me, dude. Were you trying to be like Michael Stipe? Um, or Billy Joe, what's his name, from Green Day? Oh. What's his name? Billy Joe what? Billy Joe Bob. Billy I'm Joe sure. Billy Bob, yes, Bobby Joe Billy. <laughs> what? But I don't know his name anymore. You generic redneck name. Yes, yeah. there you go. Generic name. Um, I'm featured a cover by Tom Grimm in This episode just off the wall uh, and rare rising of Nightwing and Robin looking stunned as Batman stands, mask off, tango. In hand over the dead body of his adversary. Grummit's art is, as always, pleasing to the eye and a marked contrast to the last issue's art team. Again, reading this in trade, these art transitions must be jarring, as Grummet's a completely different type of artist to Wagner and McCain, but back in the day, this probably wasn't a consideration. It is amusing that the cover copy Bruce Wayne murder, isn't it? Okay. Because that wouldn't be for another couple of years yet. Jean Paul's bat signal is almost half gone by now, with the one true bat signal showing beneath it. Grummet and Chrysinger, the interior art team as well with Chuck Dixon writing and Adrian Roy did the colours Adrian Albert de Guzman Adrian de Guzman did the letters Jordan B. Goffin was the assistant editor and Denny O'Neill was the editor picking up exactly where the last show ended albeit after a number of emails, Robert and Nightwing swoop down and accuse Bruce of cold-blooded murder. Bruce tries to speak, but Lady Shiva arrives and prevents Nightwing from engaging her in a confrontation, almost breaking his arm. When Bruce asks why she has framed him and turned him into a killer, Shiva says because it amused her to do so. They face each other now as equals, and one day, as adversaries, she leaves taking that mask off Tango with her. Bruce explains that he needed Shiva to believe he's killed an opponent, otherwise she would continue to say, people after him. Now he's had enough training for him to fake the entire thing and to adversity to his words his assailant stirs. Bullock and Montoya find the battleground of the Bat Cylon but the armoured figure that attacked him is alive. Whilst Jean-Paul narrowly escapes police detection, Mr Selkirk is informed of the latest developments and replies that this is only a minor tiny little little minor setback little tiny setback little tiny thing, tiny setback little very small after being warned of retribution, Selkirk hangs up the phone and vows that Batman must be
1: taken care of.
0: Did you like that? Yeah, <laughs> did that. Sheba takes care of the vengeance seekers, leaving one alive to pass the message that the test is over. Bruce, however, knows that it isn't, and he still isn't ready to make the leap. Back at the cave, Bruce Wayne once again dons the costume, but denies that he's back. But the battle has only
1: just begun. Oh, that, was, that was laughing at all your accents. And Did you like
0: all that Mask of tango? You noises. We should film the synopsis because I do actually act them, don't I? Yeah. It's very good. Uh, well, I don't know if it's very good. I don't know if Olivier would be cute enough to give me an award for it, especially since he's dead. Again, Oscar from your acting. <laughs> you got lipo with your acting? Uh, We are left in no doubt that there's more going on here than meets the eye, speaking of Transformers. But the reaction of Nightwing is especially interesting. Despite his joking with Bruce about his replacement, Dick's obviously very annoyed. And not just with Bruce's choice of the Batman, but his perceived neglect of Robin, and now turning his back on his own cause. His dialogue about this making him worse than a murderer, because a murderer never stood for anything to begin with, is a potent argument and his storming at Shiva only to be taken out in one move is very effective. There's a wonderful moment on the back of page five where Nightwing groans in pain only after he knows Shiva's left mm. which I thought was a really nice touch. he not letting it be seen that a woman took him down. His pride gets in the way. Page five also has a really funny panel of Bruce pulling Robin back from Shiva by the cape which I thought was hysterical. What would Edna, Edna Mode say about that? No, cape. no capes. No uh, capes! Page six. It's really lucky the bloke Bruce killed waited until the precise moment Shiva left to wake up, innit?
1: Well, it would have gone down li- um, differently if Bruce had made just a little tiny mistake. What,
0: really killed
1: him? Oh, crap, I actually killed him! <laughs> <laughs> no, <Nightwing. laughs> <laughs> <Nightwing.
0: laughs> <laughs> really, he went to me, right. You can get up now, I was only kidding. No, come on. She's gone now. Come on, she's gone. Nightwing, call 911. <laughs> 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 page eight. Whilst it's a foregone conclusion that Bruce hasn't killed anyone, this constant neutering of Jean-Paul really defeats the point of the story. That said, the panel of Jean-Paul pulling himself out
1: of the river is gorgeous. I love that shot.
0: Tom Grummitt's brilliant. What's Grumman doing now? Is
1: he doing anything? Um, I don't know. Right. Okay. Page 10. Yes. Well, hold on, let me have a look at page 10. Okay. The movie at the cinema closed is a great movie. And you know, I can see why all those ninjas <laughs> like it so much. It, it usually sells out, all, all, it's, it's a hit. Though I've no idea why the theatre is mostly empty in this, you know. Cool, it's full of ninjas. <laughs> Maybe people don't want to go to the cinema with ninjas though. Maybe they think I'm going to get killed. They sound like a hoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sound like a right laugh ninjas, don't they? Or are they not allowed to talk or laugh? I don't
0: think they're allowed to do anything. Although they're talking in this, they're having a bit of a conversation.
1: Uh, page 11. Ah, we're being attacked by someone with boobs, but I can't tell the difference between a man and a woman, so I'll just attack anyone wearing that mask. <laughs> yeah, that is
0: that has been a bit... Da- it doesn't help that at least in the issue of Batman last week, where they established this in Batman... Um, just looking back over the number five or nine, at least she was wearing baggy clothes... Yeah. whereas here Grummet draws her in form-fitting clothes so you've got to be pretty dumb to not realise that this is a woman wearing the mask of Tango <laughs> uh, page 13 the kids trying to nick the Batmobile's priceless is that a call back to Jason Todd I was
1: going to say, Gene Paul could have recruited his own Jason Todd
0: then. yeah, he could have, because yeah, that's um, post-crisis how Jason Todd was recruited into being Robin wasn't it? Mm. he was boosting the tyres off the Batmobile and Batman caught him
1: so, so the first thing is not, oh, you, you little scumbag girl off my car." It's, hey, how would you like to live in my house and become Robin? Uh, how would you like to come out with me at night dressed up in a funny outfit?
0: I'll tear you up on that <laughs> offer, mister. That doesn't sound in any way dubious. Go <laughs> and live in a house with me and an old guy on our own. And this little There's a hunchback midget. Yeah, a little hunchback midget. They didn't have the hunchback midget then. <laughs> Page 14, um, we get a really lovely Dick and Tim scene. Nightwing's attitude to Jean-Paul's religious leanings have been very subtly handled by Chuck Dixon, and it's another scene that draws attention to the different ideologies of the once and present Robin. Throughout, Dick has been rather derisively referring to Jean-Paul as a religious nutjob, and here, when he asserts that Bruce will take back the knight, Tim makes a reference to God being on his side. Dick's reaction that Jean-Paul has that gig sewn up and it doesn't seem to be working out too well for him is quite telling and compounded with the other references in the previous issues seems to imply a differing theology to Tim's. Like I said, it's very subtle and Dixon gives no indication either way leaving it up to the reader to interpret it however they want but it's commendable for that very reason and at least he's giving them different points of view. Again on page 16, Tim having to lie to his dad makes him uncomfortable, but as Nightwing points out, at least he has someone to lie to, which I thought was a nice touch.
1: Oh, did you not? No, it was. Okay, fair
0: enough. Uh, Bane, Bane, we get a little scene just a bit further on where Bane knows the Batman's back, Um, and I just thought that was a great little touch where he's obviously imagining himself surrounded by bats because they're obviously not the because they disappear in the next panel uh, it's it's kind of cheesy but at the same time really fun um, and then the issue ends with us getting a full page splash of Bruce Wayne back in the suit wonderfully rendered by Tom Grummet he's still got fantastically muscled legs for somebody who spent the better part of a couple of months in a wheelchair hasn't yeah. he? Doesn't seem to have atrophied his muscles there much. Uh, there's still a lot of unanswered questions and even Bruce isn't sure he's back yet. The story feels like it's on track to a big conclusion. We still have to deal with a Bruce Wayne that may not have his nerve back and an Asriel that doesn't want to give up but this was a really good issue. Again, the ads are all a bit same. But uh, the novel by Denny O'Neill is out. Advert on the back page because okay. we mentioned last week all the adverts as an advert for the Shadow movie so you knew how it ended before it ended um, yeah if you read the book before you read the comics yeah. I hadn't considered that no. Night's End Part 6 crossed over into Catwoman issue Whoa. number 12 to be precise the cover is by Jim Ballant and has Catwoman wrapping her cat and nine tails around as bats or Cylon Batman As he is about to pummel Dirk Benedict into unconsciousness. (laughs) It is, look! It's Dirk Benedict! Poor ass Bats is beating up on face man!
1: It's also the most lifelike photo reference face. I don't think it's supposed to be Dirk Benedict. No, but It is. (laughs) It does look like Dirt Benedict,
0: but I don't think it's meant to be him. Uh, it's a really good cover, actually, isn't it? Apart from Catwoman's rather ridiculous pose, where Balance always just seems to have her thrusting her breasts out and sucking her stomach in, doesn't he? But it's it's a nice cover, I quite like it. To perhaps give Balance some credit as an artist, Cylon Batman, woo-woo, his, um, his outfit absolutely looks credible, though, doesn't it? Well, except the gloves. Ish. Uh, and Catwoman's breasts are perfectly round as is Ballant's wand it's called Fire in the Sky it's by Chuck Dipson, Dipson? who's Dipson? Chuck Dixon who scripts over Joe Duffy's story Jim Ballant penciled, Jim I like boobs Ballant, copyright Michael Baylor uh, Rick Burkett inked Buzz Setzer coloured Bob Pinaha lettered. Jordan B. Gorfinkel was assistant editor and Dennis Eel was the editor the story runs thusly Batman, the real one, perches high above Gotham on the familiar ledge from the past few issues, and every iconic Batman stands on a gargoyle image ever drawn. With no hesitation, he jumps, falls, and then, at just the right moment, lets loose his batarang and swings swiftly to the buildings below. He's back. Catwoman, meanwhile, has learned about Selkirk from a thug she's tied up, but she really wants to know about the cybernetic enabler. Whatever the hell that is. Other thugs show, and she's catnapped. Selkirk who wants to know what she knows. They take her to Selkirk's Pant House. Pant That's where he stores all his pants. <laughs> He's just got a room full of Y-fronts. White ones. That sounds ridiculously pants. White sounds <laughs> tighty-whities. It's <laughs> uh, penthouse. Bad guys always have penthouses have you noticed? that? They do. Sort of good guys though. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, where she promptly overpowers the thugs charge with keeping an eye on her. Cylon Batman. Woo woo. X, that was- <laughs> very good it's like there's a silent in the room (laughs) Uh, arrives as he too was tracking down Selkirk who is having problems with his clients based upon Batman destroying his warehouse in the last few issues he orders Catwoman's death and then all forces to converge on the Batman whilst Catwoman fights her way free Batman fires Selkirk's men literally and he heads for the helipad Catwoman beats on him and Batman shows up to finish the job Selkirk tells Batman Lee is dead but before he can kill him Batman the real one Nightwing and Robin
1: arrive whoever said crime didn't pay has obviously never read a comic
0: yeah because some of these villains penthouses are perfectly serviceable aren't they Uh, it's an excellent splash page it's one of those iconic Batman stands on a ledge things, but it's very well done. With the I like cape,
1: the, the two-page spread. The next
0: one. Yeah, um, topped off only by the next page. Yeah, the, the, there's a two-page spread of Batman leaping from said gargoyle after a few issues of procrastination. It's simply breathtaking. It's the shots from above because we're an audio medium, so we can see his back and the city's blowing with bats and newspapers and smoke belching chimneys and cars and buildings, it. and it's I want to know what newspapers are doing that far high up. It's fantastic, isn't it? Maybe there's a big downdraft or something. Okay. And that may be the single best piece of art I've seen Jim Ballant do, because it's really good. It's so good, I can even overlook the fact that this huge payoff didn't even occur in a regular bat book.
1: Yeah.
0: Once upon a time, I'd have really moaned about that, wouldn't I? You would have... Uh, page five, panel one. Didn't Jim Lee swipe that pose? Yeah. At some point in the future, or won't Jim Lee swipe that pose? We we just wrote a swipe files for Bleeding Cool.
1: Did we? We should send that into him, sure. We should see what they say. Uh, page six. They should probably go. No, that's right. We can't publish it. <laughs>
0: Uh, page six Catwoman has managed to get hold of some advanced tech from the guy she's tied up I adore that she plays that being a woman I don't know how this works before almost ripping his nose off which is really funny (laughs) Um, page eight I love that Catwoman doesn't rabbit she pussyfoots, cat scratches and kitty corners but she never rabbits Which I thought was a nice bit of dialogue. She'd she'd run late if she was a rabbit. That's true. Um, Adore the shot of the Batmobile on page 10 and that Jean-Paul doesn't care about the traffic problems he's causing. The bottom panel of that page as he's swooping through Gotham City. (laughs) How many cars does he
1: wreck though? One, two, three. There's four cars that are caused. He should make a, a monster Bat truck. He drives over them. He does four cars,
0: though, that, that crash as a direct result of his irresponsible driving. mm hmm Isn't there? Oh, dear me. Bruce is going to have a hell of a time rebuilding his reputation after this, isn't he? A bit. Well, we'll how many points he's got on his licence because of uh, Cylon Batman. Does Batman actually have a licence? It's a very good question. Does he have a licence in the name Batman, not George <laughs> Clooney had a credit card? Page twelve, thirteen. Uh, Catwoman's escape is brutal and hysterical. She's tied in a wheelchair and she still manages to take out two armed guards in a confined space like an elevator. It's really cool. Her reaction to the rolling storms being the elevator music is really funny. Yuck. Page 14. When will people learn to say what else can go wrong? <laughs> when you say what else can go wrong,
1: everything will go yeah. wrong.
0: Page 15 is funny these people are pretty dumb aren't they I do like that uh, Catwoman actually points that out though let's see how dumb these people are pretty dumb because she just blasts the window out to make it look like she's escaped out the window when all she's done is hidden under a desk Mm. and they don't bother checking because they're very stupid Um, you've made no notes for this one did you you read it
1: I I did I I read it I thought
0: this was really good I, I thought it was really fast-paced and really funny.
1: I didn't enjoy it that time. Did,
0: did you? you not? No. Oh, right. There's a real feeling the action's heating up. Bruce is back in the suit. Asriel's about to get a whooping. And Catwoman was really cool here. She's almost Indiana Jones-esque in her escapades. Um, it's nice, break to the foreman of the first few issues. And it ramps up the tension. And as usual for Dixon, some of this was
1: very, very funny. But you don't have anything to say. No, really I, I preferred the last few issues okay fair enough next week's issues oh well,
0: have you read them already
1: I've not I'm gonna though right, fair enough. Well, obviously yeah. you're gonna well no I'm gonna get them all out the way quickly so I can move on to the next thing um I was just looking at my notes for the next issue and as I
0: mentioned earlier on because we didn't know how we were gonna split this up I've written the first issue tonight is Batman 510 which obviously it isn't it's the third issue tonight we're barrelling through these. Mm. It's fortunate we had all those emails, isn't it? It is. The first issue to... <laughs> I've
1: done it again! Just read the... Oh, dear me. The next issue we covered... The, the... next issue?
0: <laughs> yeah, let's just change that. Nah, that's better. The next issue we're going to cover tonight is Batman 510, which came out on June 14th, 1994, with an August cover date. June 14th. It's a significant date that. Is it? Stephen Leslie's birthday. Oh, okay. Happy birthday, Stephen. Uh, the cover is by Kelly Jones, and I'm sad to say it's a little bit dull. Classic Batman scores off against Batman Zero in front of a green background. That's it. Classic Batman has huge ears. Batman Zero's costume makes him look fat.
1: Classic Batman's got an arm that's up here. Look at where, where his arm is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's Kelly Jones' exaggerated anatomy, and there is a part of us that are like, go with it at this point. And then there are other parts where you look at it and go, what the hell? It's not one of his best, is it? No. Let's just say that. The issue is called Return of the Bat. Return of the Bat. You don't know that, Sandy? I do not. Return of the Map Luckily. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, it was written by Doug Mensch, with art by Mike Manley and Joe Rubenstein. Oh, they took... <laughs> The other credits are Adrian Roy was the colourist Roy Ken was the letterer Bruce... Roy Ken Bruzenach What? Oh no Did that... Look how badly lettered they are
1: oh, right. Can you see
0: why I made that mistake?
1: Yeah
0: Ken Bruzenach was the letterer John B. Garfinkel is the assistant editor and Danny O'Neill was the editor the story in this issue goes thusly: Picking up from where the last issue of Catwoman left off, Classic Batman tells Batman Zero... Did you get that? I just made it up. Okay. ...that the ride ends here. Jean-Paul sees his dead dad who tells him to kill the man responsible for his death. Classic Batman says that he needs taking in. Batman Zero says he needs taking down. Classic Batman has had enough. Jean-Paul was a mistake, one that he aims to correct. Now... Fighting McFightenstein follows with first blood going to Jean-Paul. Selkirk's men open fire, but Nightwing, Robin and Catwoman say that they'll deal with that. Of course, Catwoman is looking out for number one and takes off after the Neural McGuffin thing, with Nightwing and Robin in hot pursuit. <laughs> did not like me, Roscoe P. Coltrane impression. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Selkirk calls in her to come and pick him up. I'm not making this up. The helicopter in this issue is Erwolf. So those are my little nod to this fantastic cast that we do, because I think we shoe on a reference to Herwolf in that every week. It is, those is It's Herwolf. <sighs> Uh, whilst Gordon gets a call to head over there. Nightwing and Robin dispose of Selkirk's men and Catwoman holds herself after Erwulf, latching on with her cat and nine tails. Selkirk opens fire, but classic Batman and Batman Zero are protected by Batman Zero's armour. Catwoman pulls herself up into Erwulf and kicks Selkirk, knocking his aim. Batman Zero fires his bat grapple, but classic Batman throws off his aim and the grapple catches in the rotor blades at the back of Erwulf. With Batman times two and Catwoman holding on for dear life, Erwulf spins out of control over Gotham River and yes that is the theme from Herb in the background okay page one we haven't really banged on about John Paul's costume in these episodes because let's be honest we kind of beat it to death in the Night's Quest shows but it's worth repeating I think at this point by god it's a stupid costume isn't it a bit it's too bulky it looks cool it doesn't though, does it? It looks cack. I refuse to believe he can pick anything up in the spiky gloves of death. Anyone he punches would immediately look like they've been through a shredder, and I imagine he smells like oils and sweat.
1: It's cack, it. Well, the one way to take him down would be shooting his kneecaps.
0: No, because he doesn't look like his legs are armoured in any way, Exactly,
1: so l- look at all the armour on his top part. Huh? Yeah. on his legs, because she's kneecaps, so yeah. that be it. Yeah, you just blow his kneecaps out. He just caps a bat. So
0: he's also top-heavy.
1: It's, it's a ridiculous... Which would jump. mean he can't jump as far. Yeah, or swing. Or anything like that. Uh, page two... Catwoman seems to do a decent job. And
0: and yes and she's quite top heavy when Jim I like boobs draws her. copyright Michael Bailey
1: uh, page two I like, I like Power Girl flies
0: well she's covered her chest up now aren't she in Earth 2 have oh. you not read the new Earth 2 I've
1: not oh it's just because she covers it up doesn't mean she's falling well one would imagine she's
0: got better support now one would you imagine <laughs> and Power Girl was Kryptonian originally so I'm presuming that the flying has no impact on the, the size of her boobs right or the size of her boobs has no impact on them yes that's, I was just distracted by the size of her boobs <laughs> As all men are. Page two, I like Robin's line about reasoning with Jean-Paul and the last time he did it was nearly choked to death for his troubles. (laughs) Page three through five. Psychologically, Bruce could actually be doing more damage to Jean-Paul here. Jean-Paul's already got daddy issues, resulting in his constant craving for his father's approval, even though his dad's dead. Uh, And he even still sees him and talks to his ghostly apparition. Plus the obvious mental damage that he suffered at the hands of the system. Having Bruce turn up, and essentially being his adoptive father figure, only to have him say that Jean-Paul was a mistake that needs correcting, may not necessarily have been the best approach Mr Wayne could take. I did like Selkirk's line on the bottom of page 5, which in a minute I'm going to tell you what it is. Yeah, it's all very interesting, gentlemen. One man fighting another one over the right to repeatedly risk his life attired like a bat. I thought that was quite funny. I don't know why he was British. Well, wow. yeah, It's because I can do a better British accent than I can anything else. Oh, yeah. Only arguably. Um, again, referencing to costumes, I'm really not a fan of this year's Nightwing costume. Are you not? No, it's better than the disco collar version he had Yeah. in the early 80s but it's still got far too much yellow on it.
1: Not as good as the black and blue one.
0: No, I prefer the black and blue. I even like the the new 52 night with the one. Yeah, mm. I think that's a really good costume. Uh, page 5 through 11. The fight between Bruce and Jean-Paul is suitably brutal, but again, suspension of disbelief is stretched further than Stretch Armstrong. Bruce repeatedly punches Jean-Paul's armour with no obvious damage to his knuckles. To be honest, I expect a bit more from Bruce Wayne. I really thought he'd be using his brains a lot more. Yeah, more tactical in his approach to fighting with him. Especially being as he clearly has him outclassed in that department. Instead of engaging in a burr-knuckle brawl. Page 12. I thought it was interesting how the mobile phones impacted on stories. It's remarkably fortunate that whenever they need Commissioner Gordon, he just happens to be near a phone. Yeah. Um, But it is necessary to the plot, so what are you going to do? Uh, page 13 through 22 is one huge fight scene and it's a lot of fun not as kinetic as Chuck Dixon's action scenes uh, Nightwing and Robin taking out the goons is a little bit pedestrian to be honest and the Batman versus Batman slug point is, slug point. slugfest is disappointing for being a slugfest Rather than showing exactly why Bruce Wayne is the better choice to be Batman. The Erwolf stuff at the end is good fun, especially for featuring werewolf, uh, and the cliffhanger is suitably epic. I did like the little artistic touch that Bruce is graceful in his movements as Erwolf goes down, but Jean Paul's all over the place. Overall, it's a good issue. There's a part of me that wishes Chuck Dixon could have written the whole thing though. Yeah. Because compare this to the action scenes in detective comics, and it's just. it's lacking something. Dixon's action scenes are just so very well done there's a couple of game ads the death of Superman on the NES and one movie I've never heard of, Little Big League and one I quite liked, The Shadow well I liked it when The Shadow was in it which wasn't very much uh, the comic creators are out for the convention season on the DC Universe page but ETM's top picks rock as per usual let's actually find the page this will be fun Wonder Woman's a ginger on the yeah. advert for Justice League America annual number 8 yeah no wrong with that no wrong with a bit of redhead as long as the collar and cuffs match you're laughing uh, etm as we mentioned the second batman punisher team ups out soon we're going to cover that next week have you read that yet yeah? i've not okay dot, fair enough um it's better than the first one okay I hope that's not giving anything away uh whilst the x-men are in x over mode with three count them three upcoming crossover stories final sanction generation next and life sign um Needless to say, they all come with foil prism or copper covers, and if it's not hot, they are at least can't miss. The top picks are Doom's 4, from Image, which I've never read, but is apparently red hot. Doom likes this. Doom... <laughs> Very good. I don't think it's anything to do with Doctor Doom. Um, Fantastic Force, with its foil cover, and disturbing and violent new Image title, Hell Shock. Oh, of course,
1: it has a hell in the. Uh, there it has used to be a, hell a title in called Hell Blood Action Force X.
0: Hell Max. Blood Action Force. I'd buy that comment. <laughs> hell Blood Action Force Max. Yeah. Brilliant. Wetworks was finally available, and there were numerous trading cards for Marvel Universe, The Simpsons, and Star Trek, Magic, and the Jihad card set. I'm not making that up. It's spelled differently J Y H A D, but it's still the Jihad card set. I'm passing that without comment. I'm not saying anything. Amongst the sillier titles that leapt out at me, Boot and the Bruise Crew. What? (laughs) Boot and the Booze Crew? I can understand. He's just going and getting ratted on a cruise. And Troll, Once Upon a Hero.
1: Was that those little troll things?
0: I have no idea. Uh, Honourable mention goes to Normal Man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. What a riveting comic that must be. Normal man. Today Sam McNormal Man woke up on just a normal day to go to his normal work in his normal car. Oh God, he made some toast.
0: He got a coffee. It was, coffee all, was normal. It was, yes, it was all very normal. Uh, the big news was the beginning of the end. Zero Hour was launched with every DC comic getting a zero issue. And you can buy all 40 of them for $50. Which I suppose isn't that bad, being about what, £1.25 a book at this point when they were 50? Finally tonight, Night End Part 8 was to be found in Shadow of the Bat 30, which came out on July 21st, 1994. The cover is more Brian Stelfrey's excellence with Catwoman, Batman Classic, and Batman Zero leaping from an exploded helicopter, which on the cover of this doesn't look like Erwolf, which I was quite disappointed in. It doesn't about.
1: look like much. It just looks like an exploding wild night's wild city. The, there is that,
0: yeah. The, the, the cover copy. Covers the exploding helicopter, which seems a bit silly. It's a very, very good cover, though, in and of itself, or at least I thought it was. Uh, nice use of the pink colour scheme to give the illusion of early morning. Entitled "Wild Nights, Wild City," it was written by Alan Grant, with art by Brett Blevins. Colours by Adrian Roy, lettered by Todd Clean, cover, as we've mentioned, by Brian Stelfreeze. Erwolf continues to careen out of control towards Gotham Bridge, with both Batmans and Catwoman still holding on for dear life. Robin and Nightwing conclude their business and knock out Selkirk's other goons and witnesses Erwolf crashes into Gotham Bridge. Catwoman is hurled free but takes shrapnel to the hair. Classic Batman leaps in and saves her, and Batman Zero takes this opportunity to pound on it. Erwulf manages an emergency landing on top of the bridge but the doors are mangled and Selkirk and his men cannot escape with Batman still fighting Batman, Robin and Nightwing evacuate the bridge. Classic Batman notices fuel leaking from the crashed Erwulf all over Jean-Paul but because Jean-Paul is a tool he doesn't notice and tries to take Classic down with a flamethrower. See if you can guess what happens next. It blows up. Yes, ablaze Batman Zero falls into the sea. Batman and Catwoman scale the bridge... ...Batman to rescue Selkirk and his main Catwoman... ...to retrieve the neural McGuffin that she wants... ...Selkirk chucks it in the sea... ...so Catwoman punches him in the face... ...Batman rescues the guy with the busted leg... ...Catwoman, reluctantly... ...carries Selkirk and the third member of the team... ...is left to die as her wolf explodes... ...actually he doesn't... ...Catwoman takes them both... ...but it's not very clear in the art... ...so that's what happens... ...Batman gets to the floor... ...jumps in the Batmobile to find Jean-Paul... ...but Jean-Paul has installed new safeguards... ...and the car explodes with Bruce inside like a Ferrari exactly like a Ferrari but Thomas Magnum wasn't in the Ferrari Mac was mm. Oh, poor Mac well then he carried on seeing Mac throughout the rest of the series sometimes he was a ghost Fair enough. sometimes he was a guy who just looked like Mac but was played by the same actor <laughs> ok um, I thought this interest, the interesting thing about the where this issue opened was with two splash pages mm. which I thought was quite interesting and not something that is done normally. Sometimes they'll have a two-page splash. Just not two splashes together. But not two splashes together. Um, I do wonder if that's simply because Shadow of the Bat doesn't have a splash page. It has a credits page. Mm. And I wonder if maybe they thought that was going to be the splash followed by... Because together they look a bit odd, don't they?
1: You would have thought Alan Grant would have known the layout of his own book. Especially by issue 30. Yeah. You'd have thought that, yeah.
0: Possibly. Uh, Alan Grant's much better at psychological stories, to be honest with you, than the action. And here it's a bit confused. And at the end of the last issue, her was careening towards the Gotham River and the bridge. Whereas here, they're close enough to the ground to get caught up in some trees, but then they're high enough from the ground that Batman has time to leap down after Catwoman when she falls. Did you think that was a bit off? <laughs> I thought that was a bit strange. They're fighting Nixon on page four. Yes, they are fighting Richard Nixon on page four. <laughs> um, I'm not a crook! Uh, well, actually... <laughs> um, I did think it was a bit strange in this issue that Harvey Bullock was back at the office telling Commissioner Gordon what's going on. Despite the fact in Batman 510, Bullock was already on the scene here. Yeah. And Gordon was heading straight, though, from Mercroll's office. If you remember, in the last issue they phoned him, he was with Murkroll
1: getting chewed out again. Maybe he stopped off at the police department and just to get told where to go again. And Bullet was there instead of being on the scene. Well, what I've learned from Knight's Quest Doobering. and Knight's Fall with Commissioner Gordon and Murkroll is Commissioner Gordon doesn't know what to do if there's no-one shouting at him, so... <laughs> Um, it is, it's a minor continuity
0: niggle It's especially egregious As Gordon never gets to see the Jean-Paul Bruce confrontation Or at least we never see that happen Yeah. Um, I think it happens in the audio adaptation But it doesn't happen here I have to confess on page 15 Where Jean-Paul sets himself on fire Because he's an idiot Amused me no end I quite like the Because there's the whole fallen angel yeah. Aspect of that where he's on fire and falling, which ties in with his Order of St. Dumas stuff. But purely from a, a visceral point of view, he deserved it. <laughs> I would have just liked him to have been burnt to a crisp, though. That would have been much more satisfying. Um, Catwoman punching Selkirk is likewise hysterical. She just holds off and lamps him.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Batman rescues one guy who has a broken leg. And orders Catwoman to carry Selkirk. It's not made terribly clear in the artwork. But Catwoman also takes the blonde guy. And then she just disappears from the story at this point, doesn't she? Mm. We don't see her again in Night's End. All three, although the blonde although the blonde guy will get a die job in between issues, will reappear in Catwoman issue thirteen, which takes place simultaneously with the events of Detective Six. Seven six seven seven, Legends of the Dark Knight sixty-three and Robin nine, and explains why Catwoman just disappears from the story.
1: Because the writers
0: forgot so about uh, No, she's off doing her own stuff. Fair enough. So what she's up to in nights? When you you'll see when you read it. When Sorry. you read the aftermath stuff, she's up to something that doesn't really involve Batman at that point. Page twenty through twenty-one are actually really cool. Batman calmly leaps away from the burning helicopter, using a batarang to slow his fall, lands on a few vehicles parkour style, and then just leaves the guy on the floor. He takes off to Jean-Paul. I actually did think that sequence was really cool. Mm. Blevins art. As we've said before, we're not the biggest fans. No. But it does, it does the job, doesn't it? It gets across the point. But you can see what he's doing quite clearly. And it is one of those things where you think God, comics are cool. It's storytelling over yeah, it. Yeah, it does its job. It tells the story, so fair enough. Uh, and it is lucky that it's really cool because the ending makes no sense. All of our protagonists met up at Selkirk's penthouse in Catwoman number 12. Fighting at Feitenstein quickly ensued in Batman 510. Classic Batman, Robin, and Nightwing presumably did the swingy Batarang thing because Jean Paul was in the Batmobile and I doubt that he left it on the bridge they all ended up at by pure chance and then he walks to the penthouse. Not in that costume. Yeah.
1: And how did he change his costume? Because it's red though. Yeah. So, how coming to took such a short time to go over to the Batcave which is outside of, just outside of Gotham.
0: Isn't it 14 miles away if the 60s TV shows to be believed?
1: Yeah. And then get changed really, really quickly into this red armour that he's just whipped up like this. Yeah. And then come all the way back. Yes. But that, just by running and swinging. Yeah. Not in that outfit. Yeah.
0: Well, I would say, is it not red hot, having just been on fire it, as an attempt to no-prize it? But didn't he fall in the river?
1: Yeah. Wouldn't that kind of cool it down? It would. And it would still kind of be blue, but with, like, a red hue. Yeah. Yes. Okay, fair enough.
0: Um, that's it for the issues that we're going to cover this week, because we're coming up on a 90-minute episode. Um, adverts. There's not terribly many good adverts in this one. The end is near. Night's Quest gets an advert. Always seems a bit silly advertising. Neil Gaiman does an Alice Cooper comic. Does he? Yeah, that's actually a pretty cool cover, that. Alice Cooper's The Last Temptation. I quite like I think Dave McKean did it. Lobo. I Dave McKean. Lobo's Back by Alan Grant Lobo In the
1: chur. Defying Anatomy once again
0: yes Defying Anatomy because it's Simon Bisley I think he did the artwork for that one The Dark Stars have recruited Donna Troy I never read The Dark Stars so I don't my think
1: Deirdre,
0: that's all cover. it is yeah it did some good stuff uh, The Demon is by Garth Ennis and John McCrea mm-hmm. you've read all of that, haven't you I've not oh have you not I've and only read the annual once again Zero Hour is Coming and The Spin Doctors had a new album out apparently milking that one-hit wonder for all it was worth.
1: one-hit
0: wonder? One, two, princes here before you. i am blah blah booby 2 princes da, ba, da, are still da, da, adoring you. but From the album A Pocket Full do, of Kryptonite. Because everything comes back to do, Superman. Bu, bu,
1: bu, That's Michael Bailey with point out.
0: Do, do, bu, no, but. Well, you've got do, the her like, for Hanson. Shit. That's it for this week. Next week, it is... The final four issues of Night's End, which are Detective Comics 677, Part 10, Legends of the Dark Knight 63, and then Aftermath, which is Robin 9, Catwoman 13, and an issue of Showcase that I can't remember the number of because I don't actually have it as an individual issue. I had to get that from our mate Tor. Okay, Tor. Uh, We'll also be looking at the second Batman Punisher team-up, and that will wrap up our Nights Trilogy. Thank you for listening. Thank you if you emailed in. Email it again if you want to. It's been a long time. Since what?
1: Since we started.
0: I know, but we've not done it consecutively. I know. We needed a break after night, then. Eh? Uh, and we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. See you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com but you can also listen through our Facebook page which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.HeyKidsComics.Webspace.VirginMedia.com If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on HeyKidsComics at VirginMedia.com We also have a forum www.forumforgeeks all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email music this week was by Chris Holland and uh, all of his music can be found on www.chrishollandmusic.net and we thank him for allowing us to use his tracks we hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics